Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Dr. Karen Lee, a food blogger and chiropractor. She recounts the challenges of arriving as a new immigrant from South Korea to Brooklyn, New York at the age of 12. Her story of navigating a new country, new language, and new responsibilities as the eldest of three is one full of fearlessness, hope, and perseverance. Please welcome Dr. Karen Lee. Welcome, Karen, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the show off by just asking one question, and the question is, has there been an event in your life, either professional or personal, that was challenging in some way that might have reshaped the course of your life? I guess I didn't think of it that way, but it actually happened when I was 12, when my father left to come to America. I was too young to really understand what my life was like in Korea at the time. I was Mm -hmm. too busy being a kid with my brothers. I have two younger brothers and my parents. And my father has a large family. So I always had cousins around. I always visited my grandparents, my uncles, just lived like a, 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 a normal kid. Then my father leaves, and I think my parents left out the details why he left. (laughs) So I was kind of shielded from, you know, all the gruesome details of uh, raising a family of, of five. I didn't realize how hard it was to raise a family of five. And my father basically left to kind of provide, you know, a better living condition and also educational opportunities for his family. And he left. And I remember, and I have pictures of us being so sad that he had to leave. And I don't think I understood what that meant to us and to, and to me. Can you tell Um, us exactly at what point? So like, how old are you and when, what year of like, what part of Korean history was this? I'm assuming it was in Yes, this was 1972. I was always uh, family centered because, I, like I said, I have a large, I had large family in Korea, so we always had you know a lot of family members around. But at the time, you know, I mean, when you're a ten, you don't really think about those kind of things. I didn't realize how hard it is to have opportunities for little kids. He was thinking, you know, into the future, how hard it was going to be for him to provide to educate three kids you know, going forward. If we were to go to college there, it would have been really difficult financially because we had to go to those after-school academies, you know, tutoring centers, and those are very expensive. Colleges are very expensive. And you have to test into them. The stress of studying. I know Korea has one of the highest suicidal, you know, suicide rates for young uh, people Mm -hmm. because it's so gruesome, just like Japan and, and other countries, other Asian countries as well. Anyway, so he saw how difficult, you know, it was for him taking care of three kids. 
at the time, I think a lot of people were going to Vietnam because mm-hmm. it was post, you know, Vietnam War. And in fact, my uncle, I think, went to Vietnam and, you know, he was still single at the time, obviously. So he went to Vietnam and then I think he was heading to America. My father didn't go to Vietnam, but um, through different connections, he actually worked at a uh, American army base and he learned English there. There was this one American GI who really thought that he would do well in America. So he encouraged him to go to America. So long story short, he leaves to go to America. And now all of a sudden, I felt like we were in this dysfunctional family and that I had to really take care of my family. I was the oldest out of, you know, of three kids. And my mom had to go, never worked before outside the home. So she had to leave to go to work and she wouldn't get home until like seven or eight at, at night. I was in fourth grade at the time. So my brothers were still very young. So I had to take care of them and I had to cook rice. I mean, I didn't make elaborate meals, but I had to cook rice and our kitchen was outside. If I say outside the home, it sounds weird, but the kitchen was outside, basically outside our room. So I had to prepare all of that outside the house, whether it's hot or cold. So I had this duty of uh, kind of like a head of the household kind of thing at a young age. How many years did that last? Like how long did it take your father to, I'm assuming, to save enough money and to be able to apply for your visas and so forth to get you guys over? Yeah, luckily at that time, it only took less than two years. Right. Now it's impossible. But back then, early 70s, it only took less than two years. And we were able to come to America in 1974. So we were incredibly lucky and he was incredibly lucky because he met some great people when he got here and he met a lawyer who uh, worked in immigration and he came to New York, by the way. So the right. that was my other question. Where did he yeah. settle? Because I mean, the two yeah. places, I think, sort of if you look at Korean migration after Korean War is obviously L.A. and California was a huge Bastion and mm-hmm. then New York. And mm-hmm. then I think there is a wave of medical students coming out of, you know, their trainings, mm-hmm. getting jobs in places like Arkansas and, yeah. and, and like South Carolina somewhere. A lot of those mm-hmm. Korean Americans, when I went to study in Korea for a summer in college and met all these people from all over the country and in parts of the country that you just never associated with Korean the different types of Koreans who immigrated here uh, in the 60s and 70s. Most people who came to like L.A. and New York in the 70s, they weren't in academics like my father basically came to see if his America is a place to raise a family. He didn't have a post-college degree. Or, so he basically came to literally work to provide for his family. So he settled in New York and he met an American uh, lawyer who did the work, who didn't take the money and ran, like a lot of people became victims to at the time. I have a lot of uh, family members who were my father's friends, you know, who basically got conned. Of, but my father got really lucky to find somebody who was so honest and who really took care of my father. So he was able to send for us like less in less than two years. So we came here in 74. I became like, I'm really responsible for the welfare of my brothers and my mom. 
I realized that early on. And I don't think I knew what it meant. And my mother obviously was lost because all of a sudden she has to go and work in a world that she never knew how. So she, of course, all of a sudden she's without a husband and um, the emotional toll that came, you know, with that, I felt so bad for her. So I tried to help her as much as I can. So that happened in Korea for a short period of time, thank God. And then we came here. How old were you when you arrived, actually? Twelve. So when I came, I thought those days are over, like two years of this unknown. I thought everything, all the uh, unanswered questions and you know, all the anxiety will be resolved. So I was really happy to be reunited. And when I came here, I had high expectations. <laughs> But it wasn't the case. So, well, can we can we go back to so starting school at twelve? You were probably fifth or sixth grade, right? Yeah. So and I graduate. I finished sixth grade in Korea because the academic year ends end of February. Okay. So or end of, or end of January. So the new new year begins in March. We came here in April, so I didn't go to uh, middle school in Korea. So I didn't right. start middle school in Korea. But then I came here in April. I am not in elementary school or in middle school anymore. So I came and I didn't go to school until like May. And then I think I went into sixth grade in May because I could just stay home. So I, I started sixth grade in May for like a month, month and a half. And I moved to Brooklyn. We were in Williamsburg area. And what was that? like? Do you have memories of that? I mean, coming to a new country, not really speaking the language and then entering into adolescence, like almost yeah. middle school, right? Which is which is horrific, horrific yeah. for all of us who speak the language as it right. is, right? Right. Much right. less if you're a foreigner and you arrive and you're like, I don't understand what anybody is saying to me. Well, it's kind of like I blacked out for like two months and I didn't have a life basically because I really don't remember what people said to me because I didn't understand it. So <laughs> I really don't remember. I mean, and when I say that, people look at me funny, but I really don't know because I don't know what people were saying to me. I, I mean, don't know what really I heard. That's really funny, but it's it's also really poignant. Yeah. So just think of like you can see, but you can't hear. You, I was almost, you know, I was I was deaf for a month and a half while I was in sixth grade. So if people cursed at me, I wouldn't know. If people said nice things about me, I don't remember. So it was kind of it was kind of waking up from being in a coma for a month and a half. And then but, when you but when you came back to school, I'm assuming that you studied English pretty prodigiously over the summer and so forth. Right. So when I went into sixth grade, I basically didn't go to math. Math, you know, I didn't really studied math, and I concentrated on English. And I rem- I do remember being taken out of my classroom, going to another room to study English. So it was probably like ESL or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I remember being taken out, and nobody else was. And I remember not feeling great about that, but I had no choice. I remember feeling sometimes feeling special and it was a good thing, but then feeling special and it was a bad thing. It really depended on my mood, I think, but it was interesting. Can we, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you actually came at a really interesting point developmentally as a person, but also 
in sort of Korean immigration history, right? This is, I'm assuming at this point, mid-70s, heading towards late 70s. I believe Jimmy Carter was president. And the world, in terms of America viewing Asians, was very different. So do you have any recollections of that? I mean, obviously, as a uh, you know, preteen, 12, going on to 13, 14, or teenage years, and being in a new country, obviously, I was not very privy to what was going on, you know, politically or socially in America. But I, because I lived in Brooklyn, as soon as I got here, I remember I noticed, you know, things like how people looked and how people looked at us. And at that time, I lived in a Polish neighborhood on the top floor of this row houses like the uh, uh, and we lived right. on the top floor. And they all have these stoops. So people would just sit on the stoops. I remember seeing them just hanging out, you know, these adults. And I remember thinking, don't these people go to work during the day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you don't see that kind of thing in Korea unless you're old and you're retired. So I remember seeing adults or maybe I thought they were adults. Maybe they were, you know, college students or all I know. But I remember, especially in the summertime, I remember uh, it, it was really hot and humid and people it was really busy and some people were really friendly and then you turn around a corner and it wasn't that, not that friendly. There was one incident where I was walking to school and there was this girl, she was taller than me. I think she was probably in her maybe middle school, high school uh, teenager. And she was saying something to me and I just looked at her dumbfounded because I didn't understand. And all of a sudden she just slapped me across the face. I really felt like I'm in a wrong country or I'm in somebody else's home. I'm not part of this country and feeling like I'm going to go home. It was the first time feeling like I'm not welcome here. And, you know, up until that time, you know, because food is so abundant, uh, it was like spring, summer. So we had so much fruit. Like when I lived in Korea, we we didn't have like other than apples and uh, watermelon and chame, which is like the Korean melon. Which other I than love. like, yeah, which I mean, we had the typical Korean fruits. We never had bananas, oranges, and we didn't have a lot of strawberries. Yeah. I remember feeling so abundant. Like we can go to grocery stores and we can buy whatever we want. We never had to really worry about if we buy this, you know, we can't save enough for the rent or something like that. Like I remember feeling bad in Korea, but after I came here, I never felt that kind of, you know, restriction. So I only felt great about being here until I had that incident. And all of a sudden I felt like I'm a foreigner and I don't belong here and I wanted to go home. And when I, when I thought home, I thought it was not my home in that building, but home in terms of, you know, country. Can we go back to you? Cause you made, you made a mention that when you had these high expectations of coming here and you thought your family would go back to normal. And you said that, it didn't. So can you tell us in what ways those responsibilities that you kind of were foisted upon you or you took upon yourself to help your mom in Korea continued or not? Well, it, it had to continue because now my mom had to help my dad with his business. So his business was actually selling uh, wigs. That's how he made his living. And so 
your mom had to help him. And yes. so therefore, after school, I'm assuming you were in charge of your brothers. Yes. You were much younger, yeah. right? Right. So that didn't change. Like I would come home and, you know, of course, for like a month, a month and a half while I was in elementary school, finishing up the year, my mom stayed home because she can't speak English either. But the summer came and I didn't go to school. I was home with my brothers. My mom went to work and we didn't see my parents until like 830, almost nine o'clock at night. They would go out around nine to open at 10 close at eight and, you know, clean up. And then by the time they came home, it was nine o'clock at night. So I had to cook breakfast, lunch and dinner for my uh, family and make sure that my parents, my brothers didn't, you know, go out of the apartment or get in trouble or whatever. We basically stayed in the apartment the whole entire summer, that summer. Wow. I remember being so hot. It was on the fourth floor. So we had to stay in that apartment and, I'm sure if there was social child, you know, social services or child uh, protection <laughs> service, we would have been in, in their custody that yes. summer. I think we all have those stories, like looking <laughs> back, right? Yeah, I always yeah. say to my mom, if you had done that right. now, yes. I would be in welfare services, right. right? Yeah, yeah. I tell my mom they're all, even now, I said, you guys were so lucky that we were good kids, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I mean, anything could have happened. But we were we were scared to go out anyway, especially after that episode on the streets. Of course, my, it just it just made my father feel so, so bad that he basically he's you know, he caused us. He caused me to have that experience by bringing me over here. Right. So mm-hmm. he felt really bad. But that incident just made me realize that I'm not American. I'm Asian. I look different. And I didn't speak English. It kind of made me realize that I am different. And I, I, it kind of uh, pulled me out of that, that um, fantasy that everything is perfect because I had enough to eat. My, my father is here now. And I have this perfect you know, image of what I wanted my family to be because I had those two years in, in Korea. So that sort of shattered my expectations, so to speak. And you talk about it really nicely because I know with Korean Americans who came at a sort of an older age that they're constantly straddling two worlds, right? That in some ways, if they went back to Korea, they would seem wholly American. But here they don't feel wholly American, like mm-hmm. that they feel like they're in between worlds almost. So did you, do you feel like that was the point where you started to kind of see yourself in that dichotomy? So, you know, interesting you mentioned that because I never felt torn. I accepted both. So even though I had that incident, I felt like I am so far in here. I am not um, one of them kind of feeling. I didn't let that let that make me feel I'm neither or, and I'm in this, this rut or in this world of not knowing what's, you know, who I am. And like, I didn't go through that period. Luckily I accepted that I am Korean living in America and this is my new home. This is my new situation. And I, I'm just going to do my thing. And so I was grateful to be here. I was going to do my best to make the best of it. And my situation was that, and and I said this before, and because I was only 12, I didn't really think about these worldly things. So when I say that 
my high expectations uh, kind of, you know, fell to the wayside. And by end of the summer, we moved to Queens because my father found out that schools would be better. We lived in Forest Hills, Regal Park area. So Mm -hmm. I took each stage or each living situation or each situation or condition to be better than our previous. And I think I always felt like I, I still had the family. So to me, it was better than anything I had back in Korea. So I didn't think of it as like, uh, oh my gosh, you know, I have this living here. I'm not American. And I have this, uh, you know, disadvantage because I'm not American or I don't look American. I just accepted that I am Asian. My parents work their asses off. Like and, Koreans. Yeah, like- yeah. And I never took it for granted. I felt like I had my part. They suffered a lot for us. And at least I can do was really, you know, clean the house, do the laundry and cook for them and take care of my brothers so that they don't have to worry about my brothers. So I never had this rebellious, you know, stage. Obviously, I went through some rebellion, but they're very minor and small and insignificant. I always felt like family was everything. So I had to do my part. Do you think that's where your love of food came from? Because you were... Well, I had to cook. Yeah. Right. That you started cooking at a very Mm -hmm. young age. Yes. Out of of necessity. Because if I didn't cook, my family didn't eat. So... But I'm assuming... but I'm assuming that you didn't start your culinary career right away. I mean, you went to uni- you went no. to university and did the most standard yeah. things. Cooking was never a thing that a, a person you know does in my in my upbringing anyway. So, cooking was never really a, a glamorous profession. But for me, cooking was its way of life. I never thought eating or cooking was the career path or career choice. My parents always made sure that, you know, we went to the grocery store and we always had fresh ingredients. Most of the time we ate freshly cooked home meals, you know. Can you go back to, so what did you study at university and did you end up working in it? Obviously you did end up meeting and working in a different profession before you sort of found your way to food. Well, so obviously just like any typical Asian families going into medicine was their goal. I didn't pursue uh, medicine. But I got a, uh, a bachelor's degree in psychology, but couldn't afford to go to grad school. And if I was going to go to grad school, I was going to go after working a few years. I graduated and then I didn't know what else. I, I didn't know what jobs to get. And I somehow found this real estate broker in the newspaper. And she just sounded so lovely that I decided to go into real estate. So I got a real estate license. She helped me and I worked as a a real estate agent. (laughs) Then my father got sick and I had to help him. He was hospitalized. So I had to go to the store because he never really hired people to take care of his business. And at the time he had three stores at the time. So I had to go and help him with one of the stores. And I was there helping him with the family business. And at the time I was dating a Chinese person, but long story short, we got married. And then after I got married, I applied to a business school at Fordham and I decided to go there. And then I got pregnant. So I did not want to quit the business school. So I enrolled as a part-time. And then I ha- after I had my son, my perspective on my life changed once again. And I quit 
the MBA program because I could not, I, I couldn't see myself leaving this infant at home to go to school. And even after I finished MBA program, I couldn't imagine working in Wall Street or big corporations, leaving my baby at home to be raised by somebody else. So I was, I didn't know what to do. Then a chiropractor that I was visiting, that I was seeing, I saw this chiropractor throughout my pregnancy. And he told me there are no Korean chiropractors in Metro you know, New York area. So I commuted to Bridgeport from Westchester for four years and got a chiropractic degree. And the reason why I did the chiropractic school is because I felt like I could set my own hours. And the chiropractor that I was seeing actually worked only three days. So I thought that was really the best time, you know, the best type of schedule for a young mom, you know, to set your own hours, your own, your, 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 you are your own boss. You could even bring your baby to work if you wanted to. So it was a lot of work, but that's how I started chiropractic school. And while I was in chiropractic school, I had my daughter. I really enjoyed taking care of people. And I think I was meant to take care of people. And I think my life as uh, somebody who really looked after her family, I think that was the kind of person that I was meant to be. When did you start blogging about food and specifically Korean food? Around 2008, I started my blog. And what is it about called? In, at the time, it was called Eco Karen. I started writing about food because I found out that my kids had food-related health problems. So I wanted to chronicle or I wanted to just save some of the recipes and talk about some of these food allergies and things like that. I didn't really mean to, uh, you know, go into actual recipes until probably about 2018, I want to say, because once I started writing the recipes and about gut health and uh, food allergies, I wanted to publish a cookbook because I wanted the, the information to really to, to be available for everyone, not just somebody who comes into my blog. So my goal was to write a cookbook. And then I wrote three cookbooks in three years, published three cookbooks in three years. And before I get to the very last question, uh, where can people find your cookbooks? Is it on Amazon or? Yep, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Nobles. It's in any any bookstores. If you type my name, Dr. Karen S. Lee, S is in Sam. That's my that's the middle initial for my Korean name. So it's Dr. Karen S. Lee. You'll find the books. There are three on Amazon right now. And Barnes and Nobles, um, the books were at Costco, uh, Costco at one point. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. You can also borrow from the library. So I'm going to ask you one last question. If you could pick a song that kind of resonates with you or seems to describe part of your life or the entirety of your life, what would that song be? You know, I thought about this because I knew you were going to ask. Yeah, <laughs> and which, which is why I'm going to start to switch it up with people. <laughs> No, because I actually played piano when I was uh, in Korea. And my father thought I was going to go to Julia once I came here, which is comical. <laughs> he bought me a, a Steinway piano, which I still have. Oh, Any classical music to me is calming when I'm feeling blue, when I'm feeling, you know, like this day cannot end faster. I, like I just put on classical music, any classical music, Chopin, Beethoven, Mozart, WC. It just strikes balance, I guess, in yeah. me. 
That's lovely. So, yeah, well, that's a great place to end. So uh, people can find you on Instagram and Facebook under Dr. Karen Lee. Is that right? Dr. Karen Esley with Dr. the Karen S in the S. middle. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And oh, thank you, Yuliana, for this of, great opportunity to chat with you. No, of course. And we will eat food soon together. Yes. I promise. Yes. Okay. Promise. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. And then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they go ask me why I do it. I'm going to say this because we going to be the best on earth, just like we be our rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that could or should or would If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.